0: Good morning. Good morning. We're glad to have you here at all of our campuses and I like to read just a, a quick passage before we look at Job this morning, a passage in Second Timothy. This is Paul's, probably some of his last words as he ends his final book. He says, "I have fought the good fight. This is four uh, verse seven, I've fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith henceforth. There is laid for me a crown of righteousness." Which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award me on that day. And that day came for two people here at our congregation. Uh, Ron Cook, many of you know, passed away uh, this week. And also, um, uh, Roxanne Ellis uh, passed away. And so we want uh, you to know that in the bulletin, there's information regarding uh, Ron Cook's. Um, services, the viewing this afternoon, and same for Roxanne. A funeral for Ron will be Monday, and for Roxanne will be Tuesday. And we want you to know that so that you can uh, pray, be praying for the family, attend the services if you would like to do that. And we also uh, want one other thing. If, if, if sometimes a person you know passes away like on Monday, and then the funeral is like Thursday, and we don't have a way to—we haven't had a way to get it to everyone, so we're correcting that. Uh, if you would email prayer at biblechapel.org, prayer at biblechapel.org, and just put your name there, and then when um, when the day arrives, it's just a great celebration, right, for those who know Christ. When that day arrives, then we'll send out the information uh, to you and let you know what's going on. So you can uh, attend the services or the, the visitation or be praying for the family. Write them a note. Let them know you're encouraging them. So just be sure to do that because that's one of the ways that we, can, we can't get it to you unless you, unless you uh, send that email to us. Again, that's going to be at all the campuses. And I know the different campuses have different ways of getting information around. But for all of us, we can be praying for all those in the Bible Chapel family. All right, prayer at Biblechapel.org. Father, thank you for what you do in our lives, and thank you, Lord, that uh, uh, this life is short, and all of us who know you will see you on that day that, uh, that Paul wrote about. And I pray, Lord, that you would be with the Cook family, and I pray you would be with the Ellis family, and Lord, I know there are others who, who are going through some tough times of loss and tough times of grief, and I pray, Lord, that you would be with them as well. Help us as a church body in all of our campuses to rally around those who are, who are hurting, mourn with those who mourn, grieve with those who grieve, and I pray, Father, that we would truly demonstrate the community that you intended for us to, to, uh, to demonstrate. We thank you for our time, we thank you for uh, being able here in a a few minutes to take communion together, and I pray, Father, that you would prepare our hearts for that, Uh, prepare our hearts for your word, thank you for our time of singing at all the campuses, thank you for our interaction, and now, Lord, uh, we want to pray together in one voice as your Son, our Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. So there was once a man who lived in the land of Uz. The land of Uz is in northern Saudi Arabia today. And that's where Job lived. He was an upright man. He feared God. He was blameless and he turned from evil. He wasn't perfect, but the pattern of his life demonstrated a person who was following hard after God. To the south of Job was a people called the Sabaeans. Uh, Today, that's in Yemen and the sabeans were a fighting people uh, isaiah describes them as those tall sabeans and we have some pictures some artifacts of sabeans here's one of the male uh, sabeans and you can see he has his hands out and here's a female sabean and you can see she has her hands out you know why they held their hands like that i have no idea but every time every time you see them they have their hands out like that and uh, they lived in the south Um, the land was called uh, Sheba. And later on, this queen of Sheba, remember that story, went to see uh, Solomon in all his glory. And so you had the Sabaeans to the south. To the north, you had the Chaldeans. The Chaldeans were fighting people as well. I think we have a a picture of a Chaldean riding on a horse with his braided beard, uh, shooting an arrow. And uh, one day... God allowed the Sabaeans to come from the north, the Chaldeans rather, and the Sabaeans to come from the south and devastate everything Job had. Took all his animals, all of his livestock. Job was a wealthy man, and that day he was no longer wealthy. They took his plunder. On that same day, his kids, 10 kids and spouses, were having a birthday party for one of the kids it's a great celebration and a windstorm came knocked down the house all of them were killed on one day and as that news got to job we know that satan was behind it all and he was trying to get job to curse god because he had told god who wouldn't serve you if you gave him all the stuff And when Job first hears what has gone on, he says, chapter 1, verse 20, Job rose and tore his robe and he shaved his head and he fell on the ground in worship. Not the worship like we were singing praise songs today. This is a worship of grief. And he said, naked I came from a mother's womb and naked shall I return. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin or charge God with wrong. And you know what Satan said? Job, Job is worse than I thought. He is so wicked. He is so selfish. He's so self-centered. You've taken away all his stuff. But he didn't even care about that stuff. He didn't care about his kids. He cares about Job. You go after him. You go after him with sickness and he will curse you to your face. So God allowed Job to be stricken by Satan. The illness was severe. Job was so humiliated and sick that he withdrew himself from his home and his friends and went out and sat at the city dump where the outcasts sat. As we, as we read uh, Job, we see that, uh, that he took uh, broken pottery, as he sat there, he had running sores and he took broken pottery and he would scrape the sores to keep the infection from running down on other uh, parts of his skin. He, he had uh, itching, he had uh, changes in his facial skin, he had loss of appetite, depression, loss of strength, worms, can you imagine? In, in his boils... Difficulty breathing, loss of weight, continual pain, restlessness, blackened skin, peeling skin, and fever. And Job said, After all that, I wish I had never been born. And since I was born, I wish I'd been stillborn. And since I wasn't stillborn, I wish I would die right now. Three friends came and talked to Job. At first, they were silent, they hardly recognized him they were silent for a while and then they started talking and and, and the theme of their th- three conversations is job for this to happen to you you must have sinned greatly because god punishes sin and if you're sick like this then it's because you sin now we have looked at job and we know that's not the case right sometimes sickness comes we live in a broken world and so it comes, sometimes tragedy comes because we live in a sinful world. Sometimes God allows sickness to prevent us from sin, challenging times to prevent us from sin, and sometimes to, to train us. We know there are different reasons, but these three, three friends said you had to have sinned. And Job said, look, I'm, I know I'm not perfect, but I have not sinned. And he goes through, in one portion we've looked at, he, he went through several broad categories of sin and said, I've not, I've not done these things. I've been faithful to my wife. I haven't lusted after another woman. I've made a covenant with my eyes. I, I haven't defrauded anyone. I've been honest. I haven't, I haven't told untruths. I've treated my employees well. I've done, I've done these things. God, what are you doing? And Job says, God, I need you. I want to take you to court and I want to prove my innocence. And if I'm not innocent, then you can zap me on the spot. But if I'm innocent, I want you, God, because this has to be coming from you. You're sovereign. I want you to proclaim my innocence. Job chapter 31, verse 35, Oh, that I had one to hear me. Here is my signature. God, there's my signature. You answer me. It's your turn. I'm done talking. So you know what God did, right? Nothing. In fact, graciously, God said, Job, you got to settle down. And he sent a younger man named Elihu to settle Job down. And Elihu didn't say everything right, and Elihu was a little full of himself, but he made three great points. He said, Job, just settle down. God, everything God does is gracious. And God, everything God does is great. And Job, everything God does is just. God used Elihu just to calm Job down. And we can only imagine. That as Elihu was speaking, dark clouds started forming behind Job and lightning started crisscrossing the sky and the wind started picking up and maybe Job heard something like this. God spoke, we're told, from the whirlwind. Chapter 38, verse 1. The Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind. That that word means a violent storm. When we want to be dramatic, we have to build a set, right? God just brings his own storm. And he says, who is this that darkens my counsel by words without knowledge who is this who darkens my counsel who is this who is clouding up the issue who is this who is confusing the issue who is this who is saying I'm not just when I do everything right who is speaking words without knowledge you dress up like a man Job I'm going to question you and, make, and you make it known to me. In those days, men wore um, tunics with a cloth belt or a sash. And the tunics were such that it, you couldn't run because you couldn't get the gait that you needed to with your legs. And so when you got ready to run or you got ready to fight, you pulled the tunic up and you took the ends and, and, you, and you, you put it in your sash. It became like, kind of like shorts. That's what, Job's saying. That's what God's saying. Get ready, Job. Dress like a man. Brace yourself. Gird up your loins. I've got something to say to you. Job had a lot of questions for God, right? But you know how many questions God has for Job now? 77. That was the first one. He begins to ask Job three lines of questioning. First, he says, Job, can you explain my creation? And then he says, Job, can you control my creation? And then he asks Job, can you conquer my creation? Let's think through God's questioning. First, he says, God, Job, can you explain my creation? I'd like for you to do that. You've got so many questions for me, and you're wondering how I work, and you're wondering why I did things, and you're saying I'm unjust. Now i got questions for you. You wanted me to be in the witness seat, and you wanted to be in the judge's seat. No, Job, that's not the way it works. Look at verse 4. Where were you, Job. When I laid the foundations of the earth, he likens the creation God does to building a building. Tell tell me if you have understanding. I don't remember you being there, Job. Where were you? Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Job, do you remember when we determined what size the earth was going to be? Oh, that's right, you weren't there. Who stretched the line up on it? Uh, on, on what were its bases sunk? Who laid the cornerstone? And Job, don't you remember when I created the heavens and the earth that the stars started singing for joy and the sons of God, the angels, shouted for joy as well? Don't you remember that, Job? By the way, God uses a lot of irony <laughs> to these questions, and a lot of rhetorical questions to make his point. Well, Job, since you didn't know about the earth, let's talk about the seas. Remember, in the beginning, the earth was, was formless and, and void, and, and water covered the face of the deep. Remember, the spirit of God was hovering over the water, so we can only imagine at the beginning, we can just imagine, that, that there was just this mass of water when God started creating. And so he says, Job, wh- where were you when... When we shut up the, the sea with doors and, and said, Thus far you shall come, ocean, and no farther, and here you shall, your, your proud ways shall be, uh, be stayed. That's, that's where the shorelines are. Job, where were you when I built the shorelines? You don't remember that? Or, Job, maybe you remember how deep the ocean was. Have you ever entered the springs of the sea or walked the recesses of the deep? Uh, the, the deepest part of the ocean is said to be uh, the, the Challenger Deep, the Mariana Trench in the Pacific Ocean, somewhere between Australia and Japan. Anyone know how deep it is? 6.831 miles. Seven miles. God's saying, you been there, Job? Have you walked there? You know how the springs come out of the bottom of the ocean? Or... Let me ask you this, Job, since, since you don't know about the earth and since you weren't there when I built the shorelines and since you haven't been to the bottom of the ocean, how, how about the skies? Think of verse 22. Have you entered the storehouse of snow? God, again, is speaking in metaphors and similes and figures of speech. Hey, do you know where I keep the snow? Or what about the hail? You know where I keep, where I keep the hail? Show me, Job. Tell me where I do these things. And how about the constellations? You know anything about them? God, in rapid fire, asked these questions. Job, if you weren't there when I created the earth, if you don't know how I did all these things, then what right do you have to question my work in your life. But Job, I'm not finished. You can't explain my creation. Maybe you can control my creation. Maybe you can control it. So God, in chapter 38, verse 39, through 39, verse 30, lists 10 different animals. He says, Job, that lion, the lion cubs, who feeds them? Who makes sure they have food? And the ravens, who makes sure they have food? Is that you? I can't remember if you're the one in charge of that or not. In Job, chapter 39, verse 1, do you know where the mountain goats give birth? There was a mountain goat in the Middle East. I think we have a picture of it. A mountain goat in the Middle East. And... Uh, very few people have ever seen where these goats give birth. They go and hide when they give birth. And Job's saying, God's saying, um, do you know where, where they give birth? Because not too many people do. Well, what about the wild, don't care, what about the wild ox? Is the wild ox willing to serve you? That wild ox in the Middle East, you couldn't tame it. You couldn't hook it up to a plow. You couldn't put it in a barn. You know what that thing does? Anything it wants to do. <laughs> and what about the horse? Not the farm horse, but the war horse, Job. Look at verse 19. Did, did, do you give the horse his might? Do you clothe his neck with a mane? Do you make him leap like locusts? His majestic snorting is terrifying. He paws in the valley and exalts his strength. He goes out to meet the weapons. He laughs at fear and is not dismayed. He does not turn back from the sword. Upon him rattled the quiver, flashes of spear and the javelin, his fierceness and rage. He swallows the ground. He, he cannot sit, stand still at the sound of the trumpet. When the trumpet sounds, he says, aha, let's go. He smells the battle from afar, the thunder of captains and the shouting. Who made that warhorse, Job. And Job, i got one more question for you. What about the ostrich? Who would make such a strange bird as the ostrich? That's what God says. Not yet, not yet. Hold hold, hold the video. Hold the video. Thank you. God said, this ostrich, I made this bird with wings, but he doesn't fly. And he's not very smart. He lays his eggs on the ground... Because he can't fly. And you know what he does? He tramples on his own eggs, her own eggs. But you know what? Even though I made that bird strange, that thing can run. It cannot run a horse. Check this out. That ostrich can run 40 miles an hour. Job, why would I make a bird like that? <laughs> That's for me to know. Chapter 40, verse 2, the Lord said to Job, "Shall a? this is an amazing statement by God, shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? Shall a fault finder contend with the Almighty? He who argues with God, let him answer it. Job, you've not said much for a while. And Job only speaks to promise his silence. Verse 3, Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am of small account. What shall I answer you? I lay my hand on my mouth. I have spoken once. I will not answer twice. I will not proceed farther." So God said, I'm not done. Look at verse 6. The Lord answered Job out the way. He brings the storm back. dress, action like a man. I will question you, and you make it known to me. I still have some questions for you, Job. Will you even put me in the wrong? Will you condemn me that you may be in the right? Would you do that? Would you say I'm unjust so you can be in the right? Is that how you work, Job? Have you an arm like God? Have you the strength of God? Can you thunder with a voice Like this. You couldn't explain my creation, Job. You can't can't feed my creation or you can't control even the ox. Maybe you could conquer my creation. Oh, wait, Job. You can't do that either. Let me give you two examples. Behold, verse 15, the behemoth. The behemoth is a word we use now just for a large animal. And commentators debate on what it is. Some say it is this dinosaur. Some say it was an elephant. But most say it was, anyone have an idea? The hippopotamus. About five feet high. 4,000 pounds. The hippopotamus still kills 3,000 people a year. God said, Can you tame that? Your arrows will bounce off its skin. And don't get too close to its mouth. So, Job, who are you to ask me when I make this just one animal here? That you can't even, you, you can't even conquer. And I get another one you can't conquer. Look at verse 41. Can you draw out the Leviathan with the fish hook? Or press down his tongue with a cord. Again, a lot of commentators have different ideas about what the Leviathan was, but most believe it was the giant crocodile. About 15 to 20 feet long. There's been one, some skeletons found, about 35 feet long and uh, 2,000 pounds. So Job, just put your fishing pole in the water. Can you draw out the Leviathan with the fish hook? Or press down the tongue with a cord, will you play with him as a bird, verse 5, or will you put him on a leash for your girls? I love that. Put him on a leash and just take him home and let him be a house pet. And then verse 8, God says, you lay your hands on him, you better remember the battle, you won't do it again. Verse 30, when he comes out of that water and that mire and that mud, His underparts are like sharp potsherds. He spreads himself like a threshing sledge on the mire. He makes the deep boil like a pot. He makes the sea like a pot of ointment. Behind him he leaves a shining wake. One would think the deep to be white haired on earth there is not his like, a creature without fear. So Job, just let me get this. You can't explain creation can't even control some of the basic animals and you can't conquer the hippo or the crocodile and you're asking me why next time we'll see that uh, that Job repents he didn't curse God but there's something that happened with Job during his pain that sometimes happens to us. He didn't curse God. But in his pain, he became proud. By the way, that's not a popular thing to say. But all of us know that to be true. I do when I go through pain something I don't like I am self-absorbed I just think about myself and my situation and compare myself to others and ask God why why are you doing that to me I know you don't want to hear this You may not even be in a spot to really accept this. I get that. But pain can make us proud, self-centered. And that's what happened to Job. He was in so much pain that all he did was to think of Job. I mean, that's what we've seen throughout the book, right? I'm hurting God. I am hurting. God, what are you doing? I am hurting, God. Why are you doing this? And that's why God comes and says, Job, you can't even answer some basic questions. Why are you questioning me? Why are you darkening my counsel? Why are you clouding the issue? Basically, God says this. Look, Job, I'm God, and you're not. And you can't even figure out my creation, and you're trying to figure out the things going on in your life? You're just going to have to do one thing, Job. You're going to have to surrender. Just surrender. And that's what God asks Job to do. That's what Job does as we look at the next passage for next week. But let's move uh, now to think about what we've learned from God in Job and then what we learn from God in his son. And I'm gonna go ahead and hand this off to the campuses now and you guys can prepare for communion. Um, You know, when when I was studying this and I thought, okay, man, this is gonna be cool and I've read it before but man, this is gonna be a great study on God's majesty and his power. And you know what I did most in that study? I Googled crocodiles (laughs) and hippos and wild ox. And I'm thinking, what am I doing here? This is where God talks. Why would God bring those just basic animals? Well, one, God always speaks in our language, doesn't he? because he always wants us to get it. And this majestic God, great as he is, almighty as powerful as he is, loved us so much that he stooped to cake on flesh and die on a cross for our sins. Now you'd think that if God came in the flesh, there'd be like a glow around him, right? And he would stand a head taller than everyone else. And when he walked in a room, he would own it. That's what you'd think, right? Isaiah 53 says Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a long, young plant, like a root out of dry ground. Check this out. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him. There was nothing in the appearance of Jesus that was majestic. God came in ordinary flesh. He had no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus did not walk around with a halo over his head or there was nothing in the face of Jesus that was so attractive that we just had to talk to him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he was, has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us what? Peace. Man, what a price he paid to give us a free gift. Oh, we like sheep have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So when God says, Job, I want you to know who I am. I'm just gonna give you some animals. God says, I never want you to forget what Jesus has done. How about bread in the cup? How about a bread to remind you that my son's body was given just for you. And how about a cup to remind you that without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sins. How about these common things that you use every day, that you need every day, to remind you of the, how great I am, of the price that I've paid. Communion is open to everyone here who can answer this question If you died right now, you know without any doubt that you would wake up and see the face of Jesus. If you say, I have no doubt, none at all, let's celebrate communion together, right? But if it's a maybe, or a not sure, or I'm pretty sure I won't, just let the bread and the cup pass This is a believer's meal. This is a believer's celebration. And for us who are taking the bread and the cup, as God had Job picture those animals in the bread and the cup, God would have us picture his son beaten, bruised beyond, beaten beyond recognition, hanging on a cross, paying the great price for our freedom. And let's think of one word in your life. God, I don't know what all you're doing. I can't figure it out. I would have written my story differently. But I surrender to you. You You're God, and I am not. Father, be with us as we take communion. Do your work in our hearts, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.